If you've got your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the great love chapter. We're going to read the whole thing. Then we're going to pray, we're going to unpack verse by verse. We're actually going to go back a little bit because last week I didn't really get to finish the end of chapter 12. So I want to make sure we're all clear there. And then we'll walk verse by verse through chapter 13 and pray that the Holy Spirit will be with us. Uh, because he is the one who brings his fruit to bear in our hearts through his word. So we're, we need you, Holy Spirit, this morning. Let's read chapter 13, all 13 verses. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we are not left to try to figure it out on our own. You have always spoken to your people. And today, 2,000 years after the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, you still speak to us. You loved us enough to preserve your word for us this morning. Jesus, it is an honor to have your book open before us. Thank you. We worship you. Teach us and grow us and guide us through the power of your spirit. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. And every Christian said, amen. amen. Mm, man, I felt that prayer. We have communion at the end of this service. The love chapter uh, with communion after. This is just going to be a wonderful, glorious time with the Lord this morning. Thank you for being a part of it. Let's go back up to chapter 12. Let's start in verse 28. We're not going to go through all the gifts again, but I just want to read it to, so we can be reminded of the context. Chapter, all of chapter 12, 
all of chapter 13 and all of chapter 14 are one consistent thought in Paul's mind. They all go together. We've been, we, uh, last week we studied our second little list of gifts that are mentioned here, and that is in verse 28. And God has appointed in the church first apostles. Why? Because for a church to exist, someone's got to first be sent to proclaim the gospel. And second, prophets. Why? Because someone in that church that now exists must rightly declare the oracles of God. And third, to teaching God's people everything that God's word means. And then there's going to be miracles and gifts of healing and helping and administration. Are, are, are the gifts of helping and administration. Oh, by the way. Last week, I talked about a guy with the gift of serving. Uh, his name was Paul Wheatley. Uh, they were uh, on a visa, a work visa, for several years at our church. They're Australian uh, by nationality. They went back to Australia a couple of years ago, but they are visiting this week. Just so weird. I happened to mention him last week in a service. He's going to be here next service that's awesome. I'm going to get to see Paul and Tracy Wheatley. Those of you who remember them, make sure you find them and hug their necks. But is helping a, a uh, less than gift than uh, being one who is sent to, to plant a church? No, all the gifts, we all work together. All of us are better than one of us. The church needs everybody. But if there's no church, there's no need for administration, right? So that's why these are ordered, not by importance, but in order of necessity. And administrating and various kinds of tongues. Now, that's where we stopped last week. But look at these seven questions. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Right, seven rhetorical questions that are meant. Paul doesn't explain because we should know the answer to all these seven questions. The answer to these questions is, of course not. Of course, no. Not everybody has all the gifts. Not everybody has uh, every gift, which is why we need one another. The body has many unique members, but they all come together to make up one body. Not everybody is everything, which is why we need everybody with the various gifts that the Holy Spirit gives as he wills, as he chooses. So... Of course, no, not everybody has every one of these gifts in operation in their life at the same time. But we are earnestly to desire the higher gifts. Now, we said this list of gifts is not ordered by importance, but by necessity. So what does this mean? To desire the higher gifts. Someone asked this question. She said, you didn't get there this uh, last Sunday, she's like, you didn't get there. What does it mean? I was like, I'll start there next week. That's why we're doing this. Look over chapter 14, verse 1, just really quickly, because this gives us a little hint what, what that would mean. What would be a higher gift, and why would it be called a higher gift? Not a better gift, but a higher. One, that, uh, one of the, these gifts that are higher up in the order of necessity Chapter 14, verse 1 says, pursue love. We're going to know why after we study chapter 13 today. And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may 
prophesy. So earnestly desire the higher gifts. What does that mean? When we look up higher in this list, prophecy is one of the higher in this list gifts. And it's a very important. Someone has to be sent for a church to exist. But prophecy has got to be in operation in the church. People, men and women, old women, old men, young women, young men, young men. Did I get that right? Everybody should desire to be able to rightly declare the oracles of God, to get God's word right and be able to speak it into the lives of other people. That doesn't just mean uh, from a stage. That's what all of us should be doing in all of our conversations. It's how we encourage one another and love one another and spur one another on to good works and all that list of the one another verses. It's how it works when we're able to rightly declare the oracles of God. We should all desire these gifts, especially the ones higher up in this list. Every person in here should want to rightly be able to divide God's word and proclaim it into the life of another person. Everyone should should want the ability to be able to, to slow down and to teach that word It's why we have small groups. It's why we need small group leaders who can prophesy, rightly declare the oracles of God and to slow down and to teach God's people God's word and what it means earnestly. Not everybody's going to get these gifts. Or one of the, you might not get the gift you want, but the gifts are for us. They're for the church. They're for the benefit of the church uh, to encourage one another as we lift up. The gifts all lead to the lifting up of Jesus Christ. When we get to chapter 14 for real, we're going to really get to slow down and talk about how so many gifts are used wrongly. Chapter 13 actually begins with four scathing, the great love chapter. It begins with four scathing rebukes about how gifts can be used wrongly. But we should still desire the gifts. And we know we're using the gifts rightly if Jesus is being lifted up for all to see. We learn that all through chapter 12. Earnestly desire the higher gifts like the gift of prophecy. And I will show you a still more excellent way. This takes us into chapter 13. The great love chapter The chapter that has read at every wedding I've ever been to, except the ones that I perform. Right? Because guess what? This beautiful definition of what love is, according to our God, who is love, does not come in the context of marriage. Does it have application to marriage? Of course it does. But that's not what Paul's talking about. Paul, the the love chapter is sandwiched in between. Paul speaking about spiritual gifts in the church and how those gifts should operate in the church. Chapter 14, sandwiched right in the middle. God gives gifts. We use the gifts that he gives us in the context, centered in love for one another. Which is why, you know, Facebook and Instagram and and all the social media stuff, it just doesn't work when we're, look at me, look at me, look at me. I pray for somebody and they got healed, so I'm going to go do crusades now. That's not the way it works. It's not about you. Look at me, look at me. 
Love is the center. Love is the context for everything that we do. For how we breathe this precious gift of breath that God has given us. It's why we bleed out on the ground on the battlefield of Christian warfare over and over and over again because we love one another and we love the Lord. And Jesus is lifted up as the world says, look how they love one another. The way they serve one Why? Love leads to service. It just does. We die for those we love. We take bullets for those we love. Well, not in the face, but in the arm. We take bullets. (laughs) Got to lighten it up a little bit. Right? Love is the... the if, If, you know, one body, many parts... Love is the blood that runs through and connects all the parts and and causes all the motion and all the the working together. If if love was, uh, if the metaphor was an engine, right? Love would be the oil. It permeates all the parts. It makes it work. Love is what makes the church work. Love is what grows us in the gospel. The deeper we get into the gospel, not the more argumentative we should be with one another about who's right over this or that, but the, the more love, the more bearing with one another should occur in the church. This can apply to marriage, but this is about us right now using gifts, the Holy Spirit gifts, to make much of Jesus together. That's the context. And I want to read you a quote because 13 verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Please understand that is a scathing rebuke to this church. The people in Corinth where this letter is being read aloud, they're going, ooh, that hurts. And let me tell you why. This is a great commentary set. It's one that I reference all the time. This guy, uh, Gerald Bray, he's an Anglican guy, but he's a Reformed guy. Uh, and uh, he's, a church, he's an expert in church history. And so this commentary, ancient Christian commentary on Scripture, all he does is he walks through all the books of the Bible... And he has all the ancient, the early church fathers, those guys from the first 400 years. Augustine's probably the last of of that group. He's got them and what they say, their commentary on every chapter and verse of the Bible. So these spiritual gifts, man, there is Chrysostom and Ambrose and Augustine and all these old guys who were discipled by the disciples. See, we're 2,000 years removed, which is why we need to study hard and study more. Amen? But these guys who were discipled by the disciples of the actual disciples, right? Their stuff matters. Uh, One of the reasons in my eschatology, I believe in an actual thousand-year millennial reign, a physical millennial reign of Christ. I believe that. Why? Because Polycarp and Ignatius, the guys who were discipled by the guy who received the revelation, They believed it was literal, so it's just easier for me to say, I don't know. So I'm going to believe what the early guys who were discipled by John, I'm going to believe what they believe. This is an awesome commentary set. Listen to what Chrysostom says about the church in Corinth. The Corinthians boasted of their speaking in tongues 
which is why Paul put it last in his list. <laughs> now listen, tongues does show up last in the list. Uh, and there's a reason for that. The Corinthians loved their ability to speak. And let's, what is tongues? And we're, This is chapter 14. I don't want to get too much into it now because I want to spend all the time because most people have most of their questions centers around tongues and interpret, interpretation. So I want to spend a lot of time there. Uh, but let's just talk about tongues, the word. Glossolalia in the Greek. It simply means languages. And when you understand the ancient world and the Roman Empire, what happened when the disciples came out of the upper room? Everybody on the street, they were all there on pilgrimage. It was, it was a, the, uh, Pentecost was a, a big deal uh, in Jerusalem. It was a, a festival, a feast. Everybody was there for it. And they all had different dialects of speech. Even the Hebrews had different dialects. All the Semitic languages of that area uh, were, were all meshed through. Plus you got the Roman dialects. Plus you got all the Greek dialects that were there. Everybody had just a little different flavor of language. And, and so when they came out speaking, everyone heard them in their own dialect and in their own language. I don't think I got into this with this service. I think it was, I can't remember who I say what to and when I say it. So I'm just going to repeat myself what happened at Pentecost truly was the reversal of the tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11 when Noah got off the boat with his three sons Shem, Ham, Japheth and their families God said okay spread out and populate the world and guess what they did they set up camp and they all stayed right there and as their families grew and as the population grew, they decided to build a tower, the Tower of Babel. And, and in their heart, their motive for the tower was to sit in the heavens with God, alongside God, to be, to become God. And God, of course, would not have men trying to take his role. So what did God do? He could, in the middle of this tower, God confuses their language. It's where language comes from. And all this confused language now, they can't communicate with one another, so the building stops, and they finally do. Because their language was confused, they couldn't operate or communicate. They did what God originally wanted them to do. They began to spread out and populate the earth as God desired. Well, at Pentecost, in the gospel... God brings the languages back together where community, why? Because we need communication in the church. We need to be able to work together. We need to operate in God's gifts together to make much of Jesus. So language was confused at Babel and in Christ, God brings all people from all nations together uh, and, and helps them uh, understand one another through tongues and interpretation so that they can work together. Somebody said, Brent, if you believe in tongues, why has no one ever spoken in tongues at one of our services? It's a very simple answer. Because we all speak English. There's no need for a spoken outburst of a tongue with an interpretation. It's not that it ceased. Because who knows? With the border wall the way it is, there might be lots of different languages in here in five years. Yes, I went there. Sorry. Everybody's like, oh, what's it going to say? <laughs> Right, We might need tongues and interpretation at some point, but, uh, but we don't right now. We all speak the same language. But in Corinth, man, this ability to, that God gave them to speak in languages that no one, uh, that, that they hadn't studied, 
They were just able to speak. They loved the gift, and they were hijacking the service. I got the gift of tongues. This thing's important. And whoa, 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 whoa. see me tie my bow tie. For the <laughs> econolodge. You guys didn't. All those who have been to a charismatic church, they think that's funny. So they loved their ability to just. To, to, to babble on in a language where they had no idea what they were saying. So when this is read in the Corinthian church, it is a backhand smack. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, is there an angelic tongue? We don't know for certain if, but, but it makes sense. God created these spiritual beings. There's got to be some way they communicate together. And right here it says, because sometimes people in Corinth were speaking in a tongue that nobody in the church knew or understood or could interpret. And so well, what they would say to that is hey, there's no interpretation. What's the, what was what, it? Oh, it must be the tongue of angels. I'm so special that I'm gifted with the heavenly tongue, not just the tongue of a man somewhere down here on earth. And Paul puts these people in their place. If I speak in the tongues of men, Italian or Latin or Spanish or, or, or German or Dutch or French, or even if you're speaking in a language known only to the supernatural realm, if you're doing so in a way that spotlights you and doesn't spotlight Jesus, you're doing it wrong. If you speak in the tongue of minors, but have not, you've got to be in all the use of our gifts. We've got to be thinking about the person sitting next to us. If you can, if you can do this speaking in tongues thing, but you're not thinking about the person beside you. If you don't have love, that is the motivation of the gift. You are a, no, you are the guy. You're the blue man group. <laughs> you're, you're a guy with a symbol just bang, bang, bang. Everybody hates you. <laughs> That's all you're just making. If, if any gift... It's not just tongues. We're going to go through three more gifts in a second that are scathing rebukes because all gifts can be used wrongly. All gifts must be used with the, the thoughts of our brothers and sisters alongside us and their benefit so that Jesus can be lifted up. Moving on, verse 2. <laughs> and if I have, listen to this. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, man, if you are the smartest guy, the smartest gal in the room, if you can go to Zechariah chapter 14 and you can decipher all the prophecy, right? If you can understand all the, the eight visions of Zechariah from the beginning of the book. I, I mentioned Zechariah because we, the elders just study that. We just uh, put our, our small group uh, study guide is being put together right now because we're going to start that series next uh, February. It's going to be awesome. It's a tough book though. But if you have, man, if you can read Revelation and know exactly what every word means and how it's all going to, to come about at the second coming of Christ, if you, if you got it all figured out, but have not love, 
Come on, we know these guys as part of the reform world. We know these guys. They got, yeah, they're the experts at everything supernatural, spiritual, experts of God's word, but their families are wrecks. They hate their wives. Nothing works right. They just make everybody mad. They just bring division after division after division in God's people. You can know it all. But without love for brother and sister and the body of Christ to make the body of Christ grow and be nourished and, uh, so that Jesus can be lifted up, you're nothing. You can have it all up here. You hear me say this. I used to say this in marriage counseling all the time because I learned this from my marriage. You can be right and wrong at the same time. (laughs) I can be so justified in some principle, like the Republican Party right now fighting and Alston McCarthy, so principled that you do what you're thinking is right in principle, but practically it doesn't work and it only divides and it only brings hurt and pain and slows down progress. Man, I'm preaching this morning. You can know it all, but be wrong. And, and, and ultimately, you're nothing, even though you know it all. Third scathing rebuke is concerning the gift of faith. And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, right? If you really have the faith of a grain of mustard seed and you can say to a mountain, be moved, and the mountain moves because of your faith in who God is, you can have that kind of faith. But if you don't have love, you are, I am nothing. Fourth scathing rebuke, moving on. If I give away all I have. You know, some people just, they're, even in Christ, they still suffer from guilt and shame from past ways they live and they're always trying to compensate uh, and they're always doing things to make themselves feel better to to alleviate their guilt. Listen, all guilt is relieved in the cross of Jesus Christ. You don't have to do anything. Guilt, shame, gone forever through the shed blood and broken body of our Lord and Savior communion, which we'll celebrate in a moment. All guilt and shame washed away in Christ. It's called expiation. Not only does he forgive us of our sins, but he takes our sins far away. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far gone our sins are from us. There is no guilt and shame in Christ, and which is why it's gospel, 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 gospel. It has to be Jesus being lifted up because that's where guilt and shame are eradicated. Nowhere else, no other power can eradicate guilt and shame. Only Christ. But you could even... You know, I was a bad guy, and now I've, I want to give everything away. I want to do, I want to prove I'm changed. I'm, you can give every dime. There are books written about this, by the way. I gave everything away. And if you give everything away, all you have, if you deliver up your body to be burned, the word is, is in first person, but... I want you to hear this. You can even give your life. 
You could be burned at the stake because you will not recant the gospel. But even that, even given burning your own body, sacrificing yourself, giving everything you have away, that whole ascetic, pharisaic line of thought, I'm going to do everything the right way. That profits. That's good to live that way. But it profits you nothing unless you're thinking about your brothers and sisters and giving yourself away as an example of love to them so that Jesus can be lifted up and praised. Listen, that's heavy. That's heavy. You can do everything right. But if it's not out of love for brother and sister in Christ so the body can work well together to make much of Jesus, you've done nothing. How can we walk away from chapters 12, 13, and 14 and think the church is unnecessary or not important? It's kind of the biggest deal from 1 Corinthians 3 all the way through. We are here together. We've got to think about one another. Everything we do should be done in light and motivated out of love for how God is working in us and through us. So Jesus is shining in our community here in Ackworth and in Cartersville and soon in Kennesaw. Amen? Amen. Who, who doesn't want to be a part of that? Who doesn't want to serve from the right center, the right motivation? We should. Look, this is a rebuke for all of us. We should love one another. I repented to the elders just recently because, you know, I, I recently moved. And, man, it's been just one thing after another. And I have been so tired. We still don't even have pictures on our walls. We've still, our closets are, still have boxes. It's just been a, it's been a rough six, eight weeks. And I stopped praying I've got a shepherding list. It was hanging on my wall in my old house. I've repented to some of the people on that shepherding list. I, I walked up to uh, a guy outside last Sunday, and I was like, dude, I'm sorry. He was like, what are you sorry for? I was like, I hadn't prayed for you in like eight weeks. <laughs> I'm supposed to be praying for you, and I, just, I haven't done it, man. I haven't gotten back into the, the routine. All of us, we've, we need to grow in the areas of actually caring about the people who are on our right and on our left, and not just our families, but, but the family of God. We're in this together. Man, if we don't do this well, Christ will not be lifted up. We won't be that visible, visible presence, that visible temple of the Lord in Ackworth. And that's who God's called us to be. So what we do is motivated out of love for God and love for each other so that we can lift Jesus up well. Four scathing rebukes. Hey, they, these gifts are in operation in this church, but they're not motivated in love. They're motivated by selfish desire and look at me and everybody should love me and everybody should pick me up and hoist me on their shoulders and everybody should sing for he's a jolly good fellow. But it's not about you. Love centers us in our giftedness so that we're thinking about other people when we're using the gifts. That makes much of Jesus. You know what? I think I'm going to start a blog about that. <laughs> Do you see how unselfish the gifts must be used? So what is this love that centers? I got 16 minutes. Here's the definition 
of the love that should be in us, that should motivate everything we should do. Love is patient. Now look, there are 15 attributes here. Seven of them are uh, listed in a positive way. Uh, The other eight are listed in in the negative. Love is not, love is, love is not. 15 different attributes. We're not going to unpack all of them. We understand most of them. But love is, what is love? What is love? Love is the opposite of me in a car. (laughs) Love is patient. Think about this, though. In the context of using our gifts to help one another so that Jesus can be lifted up, love is patient. I, this, is, this is something we never master, but should always be learning. I'm learning how to engage with people who think very differently than me. Because you know what? In my younger days, I was more wicked. God, praise God, he's sanctifying me. In my younger days, I would just be like, get out of here. There's the door. Glad I don't have to talk to them anymore. I'm a sinner. But God, at this point, at 48 years old, after 25 years of studying the Bible, he's he's causing me to slow down and try to to see where people are, why they think the way they think, why they're not listening to to what we're preaching, but they're wanting to believe something else. Uh, I'm trying to be more patient with people. We should all, listen, you're just like me. Don't sit there. Man, our pastor's a real jerk. You're the same way. It's just easier to not be around certain kinds of people. We all like to hang out with the people who are just like us. They think like us, they talk like us, and people who are different, who challenge our ways and our systems. It's just easier to not be, to delete, unfriend, block. But love is patient, patient with people. Love is kind, right? Love thinks so many ways we create narratives about others. We see them do something we don't like, and it's, we are so quick to judge. But to be kind is to see the best in people, even people we may not like that much, to, to be patient, to try to understand them. This is some of the hardest Bible teaching in the book, guys. But this is what love is. It's patient and it's kind. Love does not envy or boast. And a lot of people confuse envy with jealousy. I know I confused it for a long time, but look this up. What I'm telling you is true. Jealousy is when you are in possession of something. It can be a material, physical possession, or it could be uh, influence in a community, or it could be a job or a position title. When you possess something and you see that thing you possess threatened, you you feel like you could lose what you have. That's actually a a dictionary defined jealousy. Envy is what most of people think jealousy is. When someone else possesses something and you want what they have, that's envy. Right, The keeping up with the Kardashians, the keeping up with the Joneses, that's envy. And love is not envious. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not arrogant. It is the opposite of the social media influencer. Look at me. Look at me. Look how great. Don't you want to be me? It's the opposite love is. 
Love's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. One thing I have learned, and the elders and I, we talk about this all the time, because everybody's got a little different idea about how this song should be sung or this arrangement should be had or how we should do communion or how many songs we should sing, or I'm making this all about worship, but it's more than that, Uh, how, how kids' ministry should look. Everybody's got their ideas. And what I've learned over the years is there are hundreds of ways to honor God and do things well. There's just hundreds of ways. So we don't have to be so stuck on our preference. I mean, where's the grand piano in this place? What kind of church is this? <laughs> Love does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't have the chip on the shoulder. You know This is true about our world right now. Everybody's walking around with a chip on their shoulder. Everybody is looking for reasons to be... uh, ah, What's the word I'm looking for? Offended. Looking for reasons to be offended. Every news article somehow gets spun into their world and it's about their offense. That's not love. That's not who God is. God is love. And that's not who he is. Look how patient God is with us. We have, we're constantly, everything we do is constantly uh, offensive to him. But he's not hypersensitive. He's patient. He's kind. He's not arrogant. He's not proud. He doesn't insist on, well, he actually does insist on his way. (laughs) But not, not in the way that we do. Love does not rejoice. Now here, everything, everything you see in this, because we're, we're fixing to read, love believes all things. There's context to that. Love just doesn't believe anything. Love, love doesn't put a coexist sticker on its car. Because love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. You want to know what love does? Love hates wrong, just like God does, and he loves, love loves truth. In the Christian's life, we should hate. It's okay. So, so many people are like, Brent, I just don't know how to act. People are crazy and they're, they're sinning and they're, uh, you know, this guy has beaten this girl and you know, there's bad things happening in the world. But, but I want to be loving to them. Look, you don't love a wolf. If you love a wolf, you're going to get bit. You're going to get hurt. We don't rejoice in wrongdoing, but we do rejoice in the truth. Amen. Truth matters. In our world, somebody needs to say, boys are boys and they can't be girls and they never get pregnant because they don't have wombs. You have whatever surgery you want, but a boy is a boy and a girl is a girl. True, we are, we're not going to rejoice and believe in all the wrongdoing that's out there. We're going to rejoice in the truth. We're going to believe all things according to what is true. We're going to hope in all things according to what is true. Because that never fails. It never fails. If it looks like it's failing, it's not failing. God will have the last word. You know, when Rob Bell wrote his book, Love Wins, a a friend of mine wrote a a book, companion book to it, said, God wins. (laughs) You know, look how different love is defined by God than what our world defines love as. Our world has an untrue vision of what love is. 
They have a vision of love that says, no one can stop me from doing whatever I want, whenever I want. That's what the world thinks love is. But God, that's not his definition. This is God's definition. Love is not about wrongdoing. It doesn't rejoice at it, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. As we, with all the gifts that the Holy Spirit at his choosing gives us to possess and use, if we do this in love for one another, Jesus Christ will shine in this dark, dark world. A world that needs to know what true love is. Because true love, man, even though it's bad and dark right now, love endures all things because love never ends. Love, I love King James Version just better sometimes. Love never fails. It never fails. It never falters. This, love is not a spiritual gift, by the way. Love is a characteristic. It's a trait of Christians. And it's got to be the center of where all of our gifts are being used through the, the, the vehicle of love. We prophesy and we teach and we assist and we administrate and we serve and help through this kind of love, love that never fails. Now, as for prophecies, now, listen, let's start at verse 8 and read all the way to verse 13 because you're not going to get this right if you just take one little line out. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they pass away. So what passes away? Prophecies. Will love ever pass away? No, but prophecies will. As for tongues, they will cease. There's going to be a day where tongues are no longer necessary. As for knowledge, it will pass away. So knowledge is not a permanent thing. It's not going to be around forever. For now we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes... The partial will pass away. So there are some things right now, some gifts God gives in our lives that are not going to be necessary forever. But one thing is going to be forever, and that is love. When the perfect comes. Well, what is that? Some people believe with the perfect that comes is the completed canon of the New Testament. So after we have the New Testament... All these gifts have ceased. But let's read on and see the context because you that is a terrible interpretation. When the perfect comes, it's not talking about the Bible. It's talking about the second coming of Christ, which is made clear right here. Oh, but first, verse 11. This is one of my favorite verses. I memorized this verse when I was like 21 years old, when I had first gotten saved. When I was a child, I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. I acted uh, like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up my childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then, face to face. Is that talking about the Bible? <laughs> it's talking about Jesus. Right now, we, we see through a darkened lens, but he's coming. And when we see him face to face, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. 
Ushers, if you would come forward and begin to pass out the elements. Let me ask you something. Do we need faith today? Yes. Has faith ceased? Of course it hasn't. We need faith desperately today. We need to desperately believe in the Lord Jesus, his return, in his salvation, in his gospel, in his body, in his blood. We need faith to believe today. Hope. Has hope ceased today? Do we not need hope any longer? Of course not. We need hope desperately today, right now. We need the hope of every wrong being made. Not just our salvation at the return of Christ, but every wrong being made right in a moment at the return of Christ as he judges the unrighteous and brings all of his people into his bosom. That's the second coming of the Lord. Read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5. Faith has not ceased. Hope has not ceased. But the greatest of these is love. Why? Here's the the big idea. There is going to be a day where we won't need faith any longer. There is going to be a day when hope will not be something that we need. That day is when Jesus Christ descends with a shout. That day is when we stand before our perfect Lord, King, Savior, Jesus Christ. We're not going to need faith anymore because he's physically going to be right there standing before us. We are going to bask and be in awe at the presence of God Almighty, Yahweh, the Lord. We're not going to need faith. He's going to be there. We're going to see him. We're going to touch him. We're going to put our fingers like doubting Thomas into the, uh, his nail-pierced hands and into the, the spear mark of his side. We're, we're going to see him, know him, feel him, be with him. We're not going to need hope because all things are made perfect in him as we stand before him. We're not going to need these things. But love, love is eternal because God is Love. We're not going to need the gifts of the Holy Spirit to encourage one another and spur one another on toward good works because we're all going to be in his presence, united together with him. And in that day, only love. Man, I'm fixing to sing some Pearl Jam. <laughs> love, rain on me. In that day, love will reign. Forever. Nothing will be broken, so there's no need for hope. Nothing will be unknown. Christ is present before us. We don't need faith. We won't need any of the gifts because we will be standing in the presence of our God. As Pastor Daniel comes to administrate communion, let us be thinking on these things.